Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Martin Bayfield, and you're listening to a special episode of our regular podcast. Earlier this month, Nick Mullins sat down for a fascinating exclusive with Bath Director of Rugby and former All Black board Todd Blackadder. Here's the best of their chat in a cosy cafe in Bath. I'd, lo- I'd love to know what it was like growing up on the South Island as a, as a kid. How did sport impact on you? At what point did sport start to make an impact on you? Oh, it's, uh, I remember like yesterday, it was um, just... Just as a kid growing up wanting to play rugby, it was just something that I think everyone always wanted to do. And for me in particular, I just wanted to play for my club, Woodend. And um, yeah, I still remember my first game. And then uh, how old were you? I was nine. Right. Yeah. So just growing up, just young, just wanting to play rugby. Just I remember going along to my first game, and I wasn't allowed to play because I was too young. And um, yeah. I remember being very disappointed. But. Um, just lived for rugby right through all my years of growing up and then actually when I went to high school I didn't really play a lot of rugby sort of had a little bit of a break from it and if you had to watch me growing up I was quite average to be honest and then sort of moved up to Golden Bay Nelson when I was 16 and then it wasn't until I really made the South um, Nelson Bays and South Island under 18s that just got a little bit of hope and a little bit of belief that I could actually enjoy what I was doing and from there on it was Feels like a dream. Yeah, you were living in a place with Rangiora. Is yeah, that Rangiora. Pronounced properly? Yeah. Yes, that's right. What was what was that like to to grow up in? That's the the northern tip of the South Island. Yeah, oh, Rangiora is sort of yeah, just above Christchurch. So I was I was living in Woodend, but um, went to Rangiora High School. But no, it was a great place. It was good to grow up. It was like um, you know, like any of those small towns, running around with your friends and bare feet and. You know, picking fruit and annoying the neighbours and just playing rugby, it was all of those things. So I had a great childhood growing up, it was fantastic. And, and we're all, everything was really sport orientated. You know, I was one of uh, three boys, and it's like any New Zealand lawn, there are just patches worn out where you're just kicking the ball all day and running and practicing. And then as you go up the ranks, you know, um, yeah, it's more about tackling on the lawn and, you know, just, just the things that you do back home, really. It's just, just feels so normal. but. I suppose we're probably quite lucky that we got the chance. Were you farming stock? Were your, were your folks farmers? Yeah, my uh, my grandfather was, so he grew up on his farm and all that sort of stuff. And then when I went to, up to Golden Bay, which is by Nelson, I was dairy farming up there. So I was up there for four and a half years, and that's really where my sort of rugby career really kicked off. I was playing for a little little senior B club side, and, and we went on to have a really good, successful season. And someone said to me, "You're going to, um, you're going to be an All Black." And it was hard to believe because I was in a pub having a couple of quiet beers, 
Yeah, you know, this is the first they were, time. They were, they were right, whoever, whoever yeah, it was. Yeah, they were right. But also, too, you know, the club I played for, you'd never think that, you know, because it was so really remote. Have a look on the map. It's, and have a look at Collingwood, which is the top of Fairwell Spit, and Golden Bay, top of the South Island. And, you know, every every trip to Nelson is a two-hour one. But it was it was what gave me my opportunity to make the Nelson Bays under-18s. And we went down to Invercargill, which is the bottom of the South Island, played a South Island tournament. And I uh, made the New Zealand under 19 trials from there, so it was um, it's basically how it all started. It is funny because certainly on this side of the world, when we're when we're taught about the greatness of the blacks, we're, we're brought up on stories of Colin Meads carrying sheep under under. I've no idea whether that happened, but it's it's the kind of image we have of, yeah. of you know that great all black rugby stock that that you know lots of folk have got stories like yours to tell. Yeah, I think so, and, and things have changed. Um, you know, if you look back then, I mean, I think where New Zealand's quite unique. It was a game for every every shape, size, and um, for everyone. So it doesn't matter really what background you come from, you can play rugby, and I still think that still has a point of difference. And it's probably really only been in the later years where, you know, the, the club rugby, the, you know, to play in provincial rugby, it might have team develops and bring some young kids through, it's unbelievable. But what's happened to all the young farming stock is they're now going through secondary schools and they're going through, like, academies and things like that. And, and now Land Rover Rugby is really big on New Zealand television. So, you know, First 15 Rugby's got its own channel. And now all those kids are sending their, all those parents are sending their kids to those schools. So it's becoming, it's a little bit different. But you have to say that it's probably working um, because New Zealand Rugby's just having its most successful period. I mean, it's got so much talent. It's coming through the ranks, secondary schools, under 20s, now a Mitre 10 Cup. And, and it's also, too, being developed in Super Rugby. So... The Royal Black coaches have got some great choices to make. You're not making us feel any better at the moment, Todd. But, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's it's certainly a sport. It's certainly a sport on the up. Um, in terms of influences, I know you'd have, you'd have been asked this a lot of uh, a lot of times. But but was there stuff that you were learning back as a 15, 16, 17 year old that that still instructs the way you are as a coach today? Oh, I think so. I think a lot of it is your background. I, I really do. Like, um, you know, brought up well by your manners and, you know, if you've had to work hard for everything. I think there's two pathways most young young men or young women take. One is that I've got to have to work hard because I'm not as naturally talented or, or I'm naturally talented. I've got a ton of potential. But somewhere in the middle, you know, there has to become work ethic because you'll meet that really talented person and who's working just as hard as what you are. Or the, the work ethic person who's not as talented can outwork you. So I still think it doesn't really matter what path you take. I think there becomes a point in your career where you've you've either really got to back yourself and be fully committed or or you make another choice. But I, I think uh, there's so many good influences. Like if I think of the, inf the, the person probably the biggest influence on I think not just my career, but many careers, it was probably Wayne Smith and Peter Sloan when they did the, the Crusaders. And when I look at that period from 97, almost through to 2001, we won three in a row and we went from last to six to, to winning it three times in a row. What I take a lot of pride in, why I think that was such a, a great time, was that most of those guys who were coached during that period are all coaching now. Interesting. So that actually, uh, not only did they enjoy you know, a great period and all the satisfaction and the, all the achievements that went along with that, but actually went back and they're all giving back to the game in a different way. And I think that's a great sign of a great mentor and a great coach who you have to go back to. You know, the Wayne Smith, the Robbie Deans, the Steve Hansen, 
some really strong influences uh, in that period. Yeah. And if you compare that to uh, a lot of really other successful teams, and not often do those those other successful teams go on to actually give back to the game. It's really, you know, there's two paths people take, isn't it? It's just, it's just not that it's right or wrong. It's just interesting. Uh, and if you could distill what it was about Wayne Smith that made him so influential for you and, and still such a great coach, what, what is it? Can you, can you kind of sum that up in a, in a sentence? Yeah, I think he taught you the game. He made you a bit to, to take pride and passion about what you were doing. It's more than, it was more than just the game. It was about developing people, it was about learning, it was about being educated, stimulated, but it was really a passion for the game. How did you, because you were part of a really successful Canterbury team under, under Wayne, and then you made the transition from playing to coaching. How did you, how did you make that switch? How did you find that switch? Uh, the, the, the playing side of it, you know, I suppose being in a leadership position was easy because, you know, like your, your, your key relationship was with your coaches because you're a conduit between both worlds. Hey, you've got to perform and get out there yourself, but also too, um, you've got to be pretty much aligned with your coaching team. So we, what was where I was really fortunate is I had a good relationship with with those, with Wayne Smith and just like the Robbie Deans and just like Steve Henson were almost mates. So that made it really easy. But it was a lot harder to go into coaching than what it was playing. And I think the, I think the best thing and the hardest thing was <clears throat> you've got to divorce yourself from, from your basically your identity as a player. So you could, it doesn't matter what level you play at and, and that's your career, but when you go into coaching, you're a novice, you've got to be prepared to get the broom out and start sweeping because that's probably where you need to start pitching because uh, your reputation will only take you so far and in the eyes of your players, they want, they, they can, they'll see through um, your coaching ability, um, your expertise and your knowledge straight away if you don't have that knowledge and you don't have that background. So. I was probably fairly lucky that I got to do it in Scotland. That was I'm very grateful to them. They allowed me to, to coach. Um, my first coaching job was Scotland. Uh, but my real coaching job was when I did Edinburgh in the Celtic League back then. That was fantastic. And they allowed me to make some really good mistakes. Yeah. A mate of mine says that you were quite an influence at Curry as well. You had, you had some time there, didn't you? Oh, I had some great time there. I mean, that was so good to me. And they gave me another opportunity. And some such good people up there. But I was probably really fortunate. They, what, you know, they gave me my opportunity. They allowed me to grow. Um, I think that was really important for me because they, they also allowed me to make some mistakes, uh, which I clearly did. Um, but it was always that, you know, that unwavering desire to be really successful early, rather than, you know, slowly go about and build a team. And, and I think, uh, I think in my time since when I first started to where I'm now, you, you need that time to grow and develop and learn. What did you learn from, from your All Black days um, that, that, that instructs the way you are now? What were, the, what were the key factors, do you think? I think what you learn, not just from the All I mean, it was interesting, the All Blacks back then, because we were, we were, there was a lot of power struggles at the time. And we, I think the year before I went in there, we'd, I think in, in 99, we'd lost quite a few in a row. So I went in there in 2000. And my job was to really try and rebuild the culture, you know, try and get some self-belief in there. and try and turn things around. It was just a ma it was it was hard work and a massive struggle and I think that That was a really difficult time actually, wasn't it? For those who yeah. don't remember, it's post ninety nine World Cup and, and losing to France and, and the John Hart days. It was a it was a tough time for Yeah for it was. It was, it was very up and down Australia too. We're playing some fantastic rugby. Yeah, but yeah. what I what I think probably came out of the out of that was the lessons learned. One thing I do think you know New Zealand does really well is we learn our lessons pretty fast. 
Um, you know, the case in point when you know Graham Henry lost the World Cup and then they didn't they didn't eject him straight away. They kept that coaching team together that's now gone on one two in a row. I mean, I think there's lessons learned really really fast, but. For me, it was just to come in. I really enjoyed it. It was almost the, the fear of not performing and not winning, uh, because you know, like it's our it's our game in New Zealand. It's um, and probably just the scrutiny. It's the, you'll never experience scrutiny like it unless you're you've been in the All Blacks. You know what that's like. Did it's you enjoy that? Yeah, I enjoyed it, but there was another side to it too, where you know you can't escape it, and sometimes it can feel a little bit overwhelming. Sometimes it just doesn't feel like it's a game. And how do you how do you deal with that when you see it in your own players now? When when you come to a club who who didn't perform last season, how, how do you how do you take that pressure off the players? Yeah, I think uh, we're, we're far better at that these days, and you know, than talking about the outcome all the time. Because often when your coach talks about it, the outcome all the time, you know, often you can lose sight of the little things that you should be enjoying now. You know, the type the, this week, the type of rugby, the training. You know, the laughter, the having fun along the way. I mean, the seasons are a lot longer now than what they ever used to be. And I think if you become outcome focused, then it always sounds about, uh, you know, there are players here that's just Todd wanting to win a championship again. It's about him rather than, you know, I still think you do need to be outcome focused in the fact that you need to be driving towards those goals. I think that's really important. But I think you've got to enjoy all the little things along the way, you know, the birthdays and the, the celebrations and the wins and learn from the losses. I mean, you can, you can still have a really enjoyable season without winning the title. We've talked briefly about this previously, but, but one of the things you, you will notice as an outsider like us going to Farley House now is that there is laughter and there is smiles on the faces and it, and it helps that you're winning again, but, but that's an important thing to have as far as you're concerned. Yeah, I think so. And, I, and it's a lesson, you know, I've installed a, a culture um, you know, in, in some teams that I've coached that hasn't been like that, you know, where it's come in, it's a bit of fire and brimstone and... Yeah, everyone's walking on eggshells a little bit and yeah, you just keep pumping, you know, hitting your fist because it's always about performance and they're not really enjoyable ones and ultimately at the end of the day, I mean, um, the, the game is for the players and my job is to not only get the best out of them but to give them a programme that they can really enjoy. You know, I want them to grow and, th and thrive and relax and have some laughter and, you know, I think if you get those things right and the, and the players understand that ultimately it is up to them and they want to go out there and enjoy themselves and achieve their goals and their dreams for the team as well, then I think you're pretty close to getting it right. But it's uh, to, to get it right, is it's, there's no magic formula, but you've got to work really hard at it because I think that's probably the difference at the end of the day. I mean, everyone wants to go out there and be successful, but often it's your culture that keeps you together because the shit's going to hit the fan somewhere along the line in some stage, and it will and it's just how tight it is to whether you can keep it together. Some people get a little bit snooty about culture, um, that, that, that they think we talk about it too much within rugby, but is, that's important to you, is it? How do you, how do you develop it? How do you keep it there? Yeah, you've got to understand who you are, your identity. Um, it's a way that you do things. Also, too, a culture, a culture is always measured on, um, well, I think, is, is how you handle things under pressure. Yeah, under pressure is, is a great insight into your culture. Because you can have a really nice fluffy culture, but you know, when the pressure's on, how do you really react? And I think that's probably really important. I think team, uh, uh, team sport, you need to have a really good, strong culture. And rugby in, in particular, because there's so many different moving parts, isn't there? I mean, it's not a simple game to play nor coach. And you know, you've got scrums, you've got lineouts, you've got back attack, you've got counter attack, you've got defence, you've got blindside. 
you know, you've got kickoffs, you, you know, you've got exits. There's a lot to a game of rugby, and you know, I think if you've got to have a really strong culture, you've got to have, you've got to be really well planned and organised, and the players have got to understand their responsibilities and their role. But basically, you want to get out there and have fun and keep things really simple for them. Yeah. yeah. Did you take much persuading to to bring your family to the other side of the world? Because it wasn't a lot of fun at Bath last season. Did did they have to twist your arm? What did they need to say to persuade you that this, this was the right choice? Oh, when I said at the start of the, uh, the, the season for the Crusaders that I was going to leave, I, I just felt the timing was right. I had eight years there and really enjoyed it all. And now I wanted the players to have a new voice because a lot of the, the guys at the Crusaders I've coached with for most of my career. Mm. And I wanted them to have another coach. Um, for me, it was I, I just was looking for something new and exciting. So I put myself out, out there on the market and you know, had a couple of conversations with a few clubs, even on the phone. And I tell you what, a, an interview over the phone just it doesn't work. It's, no. um, but I did have an interview over the phone. I'm not sure whether they were sold on me, to be honest. Um, because probably my qualities aren't over the phone and you know, I'm a, I think I'm a real people person and um, you know, what I've learned is you know, when, when you come into environments it's more about the person than what it is the role nor the, nor the title so yeah we just kept talking and then um, when it sounded a little bit more serious and you know, the guys come out, out to Christchurch to meet me. Which Stuart, fantastic. Stuart Hooper and Tarquin McDonald, yeah. the chief exec, actually flew, flew out to see you. Yeah, them. flew yeah. to Christchurch because um, I actually said to them earlier, if you want to come and meet me, come out, come out and watch a coaching session, come and see whether I'd be the right fit for the club. Because it works both ways. Like, I wouldn't want to be you know, working for a club whereas it wasn't the right fit, where you're walking straight away and you just feel that this isn't right. I mean, rugby is more about, it's about not just being fully committed, but you got to you got to be got to be the right fit for the organisation and what it needs right now. And often that can be different things depending on what's just happened. Um, so were you sold at that point, or were they were they coming over to, to persuade you that it was the right decision? Well, where were we when they? Flew no, over to I see think you? it was probably just more of a, let's meet and greet and see how we how we find each other, which which is even better, I think, because then there's no expectations and no, no pressure. For me, it was like I wanted. I wanted it to be the right fit, you know, I wanted, if I'm going to commit myself to three years, I want to feel like I can really get my teeth into it, that I can make a difference. And two, it was, you know, I was the right fit for what the team needed at the time. And since coming in, it feels like it was the best decision I've ever made. And did you get it warts and all? There's nothing that's... Because clearly things aren't perfect if a coach is just left at the end of the season in the way, in the way that Mike did. Were they honest with you? Did, did any, has anything surprised you about what you found down the road? Yeah, I was more interested in where the club wanted to go. You know, um, I can honestly say I never asked one question about Mike and what went wrong. Because I didn't feel, I, I didn't, you know, I wanted to come in with fresh eyes. I didn't want to be influenced. I didn't want to make assumptions. Because I wanted, and also too, it would have come out in the way I was thinking or my language. I could have come in. You know, if you walk around a hammer, everything looks like a nail, doesn't it? I didn't want to come in thinking there's something terribly wrong and I had to fix it. I just wanted to come in and meet the players, I wanted to meet the staff. I, um, you know, when Bruce and Tarquin sold me on the future and the vision, what they looked like, I just wanted to come in and just, right from the start, just kick into that mode. And I walked into a club that felt really health, really healthy. You know, they'd been through a bit, so I think that they were open to some learning. I think I just communicated honestly that coming in late wasn't ideal, but I was just going to focus on the performance side of it and try and pick things up along the way. And I had a, a really good team that I, 
easily moulded into a really good leadership team to help me because it's not it's not my influence. I, I would say it's probably been more of ears. Yeah, we're, we're already loving your little phrases. They're, they're, they're going down in folklore. If you walk around with a hammer, everything's everything's a nail is one that I'll definitely write down. And one thing I noticed fairly early on here was 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 you saying, if you look backwards, all you get is a stiff neck. You, you feel strongly about that, don't you? Yeah, I, I really do. And um, I think often when you're at a club with a proud history and a really good legacy, it's really important. You know, I like it. You can feel it. You know, you, you feel it that you, you know, you, you're wearing the Bath colours and the badge and it stands for something. But I just think this new group of players, I mean, um, they want to be creating their own legacy. They want to be taking the, the club forward into the future. And it's really about the now for them. So often when we theme and when we think back, we look at, talk about the legacy from the past. I mean, I think we almost, we can often disconnect with the people who are at the forefront of our game and that's the players. So, you know, I think they understand their responsibilities and they want to take the club forward just like me. You know, I know that Bath has got a great history, a really proud one, and we live in one of the most beautiful places in the world. But I want to take it forward for the next three years and I think the players do too. And often when you're looking, looking back, as I said, all you really get is a stiff neck. Have you taken photos down? Have you, have you taken honours boards down? Have you done anything that, on a kind of physical basis to help the players do that? No, quite the opposite. You know, Farley's such a beautiful place and I, I look at the... I know a lot of the, the great players that have worn that jersey in the past and I don't see any of them on, any of, them on the walls. I think, of anything, I'd love, like to see some more jerseys and photos on the walls and so you know we've got a, a lot of internationals the English players that we've got you know we've got Toby Luke um, you know Reese have played for Wales I'd love to see their photos on the wall because I think they're, they're things that you know Bath's done a lot of a lot of good stuff for for world rugby yeah. in, in regards to it. it's got a really proud history and legacy there and they should be celebrating it's worth aspiring to isn't it absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. one thing you, you did look back a little bit though you look back over the previous two years' worth of games, 60-odd 60 60-odd games. I had a really good look Yeah, I've been quizzed a lot about that. But um, <laughs> when you break it down, there's only about 32 minutes in a game of rugby. Don't tell anyone, no. but um, it's usually what it's like. But I had a really good all look at all the games. So good, yeah. I just, for me, it wasn't so much about looking at Bath and the players. It was just understanding the, the game and the structure. Like one thing in Super Rugby, almost guaranteed, really good weather. We, we pro probably all play in New Zealand a similar type of type of rugby, whether it's right or wrong, it is what it is. Which is, in your mind? Yeah, open, expansive. You know, probably the difference here is the weather. Uh, just the set-piece focus here is quite different. And even when I look at this competition, they're, they're almost like a split, a split between the two styles, like, um, you know, teams that scrum for penalties and line out drive for penalties and you know, just want to play a game where they're kicking for corners and, and you know, really trying to you know, wear teams down compared to those teams that want to play a bit more, a little bit more expansively. So, you know, just to get my head around that so that I don't come in and try and drive a, a simple a game plan that, I, that I've been working with for eight years. So what's been really good there is just had a good look last year at all the different styles, how the game's been played. Hey, when you get into winter, you've got to change the way that you play here, and that's something that we haven't had to do. That's fascinating for you as a coach, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good. That's why it's that's why it's so invigorating for me to be here because I'm learning. You know, I'm learning all the time. Like we would tweak a game every week over there and do some things subtly, but here you almost need to change the way that you play. And are you looking at a specific fixture more than you would have done 
back in New Zealand, you're looking at the team and the venue and the weather much more than you yeah, might Yeah, a lot more so. And also, too, like because I do the D, I get to have a defence, I have a really good look at their structures and just try and pick them apart a little bit more, but definitely. So have you changed your philosophy completely? Uh, uh, um, has it taken you out of the comfort zone a little bit? Well, how, how do you no, feel about I, I find I find that really exciting to yeah. me. Like, um, I'm, I've, I don't. I think, it, like, if anything, I've... I think very adaptable. Like I think you've got to be very adaptable. I think you've got to be really clear on how you, how you see the game being played, um, which is usually down there in piling the pressure on the opposition and making, trying to force them into mistakes. But um, I think you've got to be very adaptable to the conditions. And I think um, I think to be in the modern era with the way that the games are being played, I think you've got to do that. Just as we ask our players to adapt, I think as a coach you've got to be able to adapt your coaching philosophy or your strategy as well set piece, in particular the line-out, and also midfield defence. How have you been able to work around those things? Yeah, it's been, been really good actually. I think um, just understanding the game, like for example, discipline's huge, isn't it? You know, on away fixtures, because whether it's coincidence, but the, the penalty count goes up whenever you're away here. So I think being incredibly disciplined has to be the key. So underst understanding that, I know when I say discipline, you're probably thinking, what the hell has that got to do with Lineouts, but it's got everything to do with it because you know one silly penalty and you're 50 metres down the field and you're defending the lineout drive, which is you know that team scored 90 90% of their tries for lineout drive, so you're going to be in trouble all day if you're all disciplined. So that's a big part of it, and also too just just midfield defence, just making sure we're really clear there, making sure we know who we've got, um, because what we're starting to see in the game here is that you know there's a lot of short drives and a lot of they call it disconnect D in between. You know, that channel between the last defender and the forwards and, and your team, so making sure that we can defend that really well. Final question, when they when they came over, the guys to see you in New Zealand and they said this is what we expect of you this season, was it was it top six, was it top four, was it champions, or do you not think in those terms? No, no, not at all, it actually wasn't that at all, it was, um, you know, they wanted to get a really good culture on board, you know, they wanted to get Bath back to winning ways, they wanted the guys to really enjoy their rugby. Um, they haven't actually put a lot of pressure on the guys, you know, I don't think it's about that for this team at the moment. I think that every team has a goal, they set out to win a competition, but, you know, to me I just wanted to see where these guys are at and I've been nothing but impressed. Like, um, every week I've, they've asked a lot more of themselves and they've kept giving it, you know. I think the, the leadership team amongst, um, amongst the players, collective, I think they've been driving a lot of the standards and my job is just to keep giving them the best programme they can to aspire to be the very best and, and at the moment we're a happy camp and the guys are willing to give. It's, it's great to have you in the Premiership back on this side of the world and we're looking forward to seeing what you and Bath can do this season. Yeah, looking forward to that too and thank you very much. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for our usual slice of insight and analysis from the Rugby Tonight studio. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.